0: I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. All of life is interrelated. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke those words in a sermon concerning what he called the beloved community. The Beloved Community. The Beloved Community is a community of interdependent, connected people. It's a community of the linked, where none are pushed to the margins. It's a community of complementary interdependence. Complementary. We complete each other. Interdependence. We need each other. And this vision of the beloved community is not simply an abstract idea. It's concrete. It's as practical as this morning's breakfast. Dr. King said, before we finish breakfast, we can see how dependent we really are. Well, when our hand reaches for the sponge in the bathroom, he said, we meet the Pacific Islander. When we grab the bar of soap, we greet the Frenchman. When we use a towel, we meet someone from Turkey. To pour a cup of coffee puts us in company of the South American. Our tea is from China. Our cocoa is from West Africa. Our toast and eggs and bacon and oats all come from an English-speaking American farmer. Before breakfast is over, we've already met half the world. It's because we've touched this interdependent structure of reality a reality the reality of the beloved community and this reality is our study today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 if you have your bibles i'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to read verse 13 together we're going deep in one verse today i've got a one verse sermon <laughs> but we're going deep we're doing a deep dive so let's just read first corinthians 12:13 together for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit This is God's word 1 Corinthians 12:13 Now we have been in a series over Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and if you're new here, the theme of 1 Corinthians is united, united in Christ. And this verse is our DNA, it's our congregational DNA. This verse teaches us our unique, spiritually genetic composition. This verse differentiates us from any other voluntary association with whom or with which we might affiliate. This verse has weight. This verse reminds us how it is we are united in Christ should serious disagreements ever find us. And as we consider this verse this morning i want us to see first the identity that must be reclaimed and then i want us to consider the responsibility that must be fulfilled that's where we're going today who we are as a result of this verse and what it is god expects from us based on who we are identity responsibility so let's go to work first with the identity who are we who does this verse say we are paul says that we are we all are the spirit immersed spirit infused body of christ there it is above all other identities pleading begging to be first in our lives, this text says that first and foremost, we are Christ's embodied presence in champagne urbana. That is, Jesus Christ walks and talks in our skin, all of us, all of us. And how is this oneness possible? Paul says through the Holy Spirit. For we were all baptized in one spirit into one body. So Paul insists that in the Holy Spirit we are united as Christ's body. That God has plunged us into the spirit realm. And in this realm we become an interdependent body of love. He called us, he plunged us, and we are one. Do you believe that? Well, some of the Corinthians had a hard time believing that. And Paul has been pleading with this young church, about four years old, and probably about the size dynamic of who's here this morning. Paul's been pleading with these various factions of the Corinthian church to reclaim this identity in christ see some of them think that being a christian means orbiting around your favorite preacher so some said you remember in chapter one well i follow apollos he's my guy No, no, I follow Paul. No, I follow Peter. And so they began to be divided on their various opinions about their critique, about the guy they followed. And Paul is aghast at this. He says, we're not your guys. We're servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of the gospel. We're all on the same team. You cannot divide us, Paul says. We preach Christ crucified and you cannot let the stratified, partisan Corinthians. Corinthian culture divide you and church divided they were why if you look at 1st Corinthians chapter 5 you will learn that they were divided due to blatant sexual immorality in 1st Corinthians chapter 6 they're, they're divided because church members are suing one another in the secular courts In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, they're divided because of their different perspectives about married and unmarried lives. And in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, they're divided because they have elevated matters of conscience to matters of first importance. And when you are not solidified on what matters of first importance are, i.e. the Apostles' Creed, If you're not solidified on what matters of first importance are, then everything's a matter of first importance. And they're just divided. I mean, I could go on. The core problem is that they have forgotten who they are. They're acting like Corinthian consumers, and Paul is urging them to put their distinctives to the service of their spirit-immersed identity. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, we, stop there, we, that is first person plural, meaning there are no one member churches. There are no unchurched Christians. You cannot have a vitalized spiritual life all by yourself. The pilgrimage of faith must be made in the company of others we need one another and paul teaches that we all were plunged or immersed in the holy spirit we were all baptized he says into one body and all were made to drink of one spirit now the word baptism uh, can sometimes mean water baptism water baptism the ordinance of baptism depicts what jesus does to us when we receive the gospel when paul talks about baptism in first corinthians 1 16 he's talking about the ceremony or the rite of water baptism he uses the exact same word here in first corinthians 12 13 He uses it theologically in reference to the Holy Spirit. See, the word baptize or baptism literally meant to immerse or to dip. Uh, It had connotations of either washing or uh, describing the process of dyeing a cloth. The point is that it is plunged into that which permanently changes it. There it is. When you became a Christian, you exited one realm and entered another. You were rescued from old humanity and plunged into new humanity. You became a citizen of a new kingdom. You were immersed into a new domain in which you have experienced a permanent change. You experienced a spiritual transformation, which puts you into the custody and service of Christ the King. You are a Messiah person, and we are a Messiah people, a Messianic community. We have new allegiance to this King, a new law, the law of love, and new relationships. Paul says, "The old is gone. Behold, all things." are new and on an emotional level i'll bet all of us if we could find a word what would describe the common emotion of coming into the new kingdom and i'll bet it would be that word joy joy the the joy that came when a load was finally lifted off of your shoulders and it felt like what that feel like? It felt like a debt paid. Huh? It, it felt like the uh, a verdict of not guilty. It, it felt like a, a a test from your doctor that came back negative. And you just are able to go, oh man. Huh? And and notice the verb, all baptized, all were made to drink, or or, uh, literally were given to drink. That's the passive voice, isn't it? Meaning this happened to you. You didn't do it. God called and you responded in faith. It was done to you and for you. You merely cooperated. Your contribution to salvation is that you at last have stopped resisting. And then Paul says, all, all, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, that's all. So Christ intends his body to consist of people, not just just from Uh, a white or black or red or yellow ethnic groups but from all ethnic groups and this is underlined by the words jews gentiles slaves free that's that's shorthand for all jesus plan is to have some from every people group and so I, i had fun this week following the names in the new testament of all of those connected with the corinthian church body so in acts chapter 18 there are priscilla and aquila who co-founded the church at corinth with paul they were leather workers and then there's crispus we read about him in acts chapter 18 he was the synagogue ruler when paul went to corinth and got connected to the synagogue he met the, the senior minister the synagogue ruler crispus and then crispus came to christ and then they hired another synagogue ruler. His name was Sosthenes, and uh, he came to Christ. <laughs> and Sosthenes, if you'll go back up to 1 Corinthians 1:1, he's the co-author of 1 Corinthians. And then in Acts 18, you'll read the name Titius Justice. Titius Justice. So get this. Titius Justice was a Roman who worshipped Israel's God there at the synagogue who became a Christian. That's just in Acts 18. If you go to Romans uh, chapter 16, verse 23, there's Erastus. Erastus was a city official, or he was a city treasurer in Corinth. And he's quite possibly the same person identified in uh, Corinth as the Erastus inscription. There is an inscription... Uh, in the ancient city of Corinth at the ruins there, uh, and it has his name, Erastus. You can see it in Latin in the upper left-hand corner of the screen, and that goes back to around the year A.D. 50, and it's quite possibly connected to this Erastus. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and then there's uh, 1 Corinthians 1 chloe and her people that's how paul puts it chloe's people chloe seems to have been a merchant in corinth who also did business in ephesus and uh first corinthians 1 also mentions gaius whom paul baptized and then in 1 corinthians 16 at the end of the letter there there, there are three servants stephanus fortunatus and Achaeus. And who are these people? Who are all these people? Well, they're part of the Corinthian congregation. Greeks, Romans, Hebrews, men, women, slave, free, leather workers, business owners, citizens, non-citizens, religious leaders, city officials. These people have come from different assorted life stories. They heard the gospel, they responded to God's call to believe, and on doing so, they were plucked from the city of man and plunged into the city of God, and not just the Corinthians. Paul says, all believers everywhere, 1 Corinthians 1-2, we are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Church is big, isn't it, church? And elsewhere, Paul amplifies the truth of our unified, spirit-immersed identity in Christ. I'm thinking of Galatians 3, 26-28. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then I'm also thinking of Colossians 3 10 and 11. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not. Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now what I need us to understand is that when I talk about these words, Greek, Jew, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free, they have little emotional impact on me as a 21st century American. But I'm telling you, There was a lot of emotion in those words then. And yet Paul insists that Christ's united body consists of people from every tongue and tribe and nation and language. We are a global body of spirit-immersed brothers and sisters who, though different, find otherworldly unity in Christ. No one is left out. No one is better than the other. And no hierarchy of gift or abilities exists. And verse 13 concludes with, we were all given to drink in one spirit. Get get the sentence structure of verse 13. Spirit, body, spirit. It's a Holy Spirit sandwich. (laughs) We're Holy Spirit people inside and out. That's what Paul is telling us. This is who we are and the Spirit's sustenance and influence over our lives, that's how we can be one in Christ, even with our various parts. And here's the beauty of verse 13. The Holy Spirit does not remove or dilute our diversity. We are hydrated, not homogenized. And as we drink in more of Him, we become our truer selves, that He created us to be and as a result we become a resource for the world because there's plenty of spirit there's plenty of holy spirit for the world <laughs> Jesus promised the Samaritan woman in John 4:14 4, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again so you know we're sustained by gospel by gospel water, spirit immersed, spirit infused. And and then then Jesus says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He will be be a resource for others Hmm. to the amazement of the nations. Hmm. Now, if you write down 1 Corinthians 10, 2 through 4, Paul, talks about how the Canaanite nations witnessed Israel in the wilderness. Israel, who was immersed in Yahweh's cloud and infused with the law of Moses, and just as Israel was sustained by water from the rock to the astonishment of surrounding pagan nations... Paul says that rock was Christ. And we are the new Israel. And we are given to drink to the amazement of a world um, who is very tribal and very sectarian and very partisan. And yet they see this community of love, this hydrated, non-homogenized community. And who is your God, they're saying. And see, this is an identity passage. And we need to reclaim this church we need, we are all the body of christ immersed in and infused in the holy spirit our identity emerges from the empty tomb of christ and one which thrives in the spirit he sent and first corinthians 12 13 says that a divine supernatural otherworldly presence is with us now and in us now and this presence is a person who is doing something new, creating new people with new thinking. It's begun now. Is this who you believe you are? I'm not, I don't mean just 70 minutes on Sunday. I mean 24-7. Well, this is who God says we are. And if we believe God, then we need, we need to move from identity to responsibility. Responsibility. And here is our responsibility. It's in one word. Let all we do be done in love. Let all we do be done in love. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 25. Let everything you do be done in love. It's, It's no surprise that after this discussion in 1 Corinthians 12, we go to 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter, huh? Now, what, what is the kind of love that the Lord is talking about? What's that, what is that? Well, three words here, and then I'll be done. Caring, listening, and bearing. Caring for, listening to, bearing with. Caring for. You, you can see that if you just keep reading 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. There it is. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, we all rejoice together. That's the the word for empathy. It means to enter into the emotions of someone else's experience. And by the way, our church family did that last week. So last week... You know, I shared a prayer request about someone in our church family who just needed prayer. And uh, you know what? After services, our deacon team was on it. And the need was met in a relational, communal manner. You know, COVID has created an ache for community. And our church's servants responded, God be praised. So here's the take home. When someone is hurting, move toward them. Move toward the ache. Move toward the pain. Move toward the hurt. Hmm. Michelle's going to talk to us a little bit later about how we as a church family can move toward... um, move toward need as she talks to us about one winter night and the outreach initiative that we're going to participate in as a church so but who do i need to move toward Uh, if i pick up that phone i make that phone call it's going to get messy let it get messy let it get messy okay move toward move toward that's what jesus did Jesus moved toward us. His spirit now inhabits us as a body. Move toward the ache. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about caring for. Caring for, listening to. Listening to. Well, that's in 1 Corinthians 2. It's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 12, 13, and 14 go together as a section in paul's letter and in first corinthians 14 it's a very hard chapter but there's a sense in which chapter 14 concerns the ministry of listening you see, in 1 Corinthians 14, would you just back up and you look at what the problem is in 1 Corinthians 14, the problem in 1 Corinthians 14 is that everybody wants to speak at the same time. <laughs> you just described dinner last night. Well, I mean... <laughs> I, and here's the deal. They're all good words. Everything everybody wants to say in chapter 14, they're, they're, they're good, they're... they're, they're they're intended to be spoken out of good faith, but they all can't be shared at the same time. Even good words need to be shared in order. And so the beloved community cares for, and the beloved community listens to. Sarah was reading a section out of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, uh, Life Together. Sarah is my wife. She said, oh, listen to this section. And I heard her, and I thought, I'm going to share this. Bonhoeffer wrote, just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. And then Bonhoeffer said, they do not find it among Christians because these Christians are talking where where they should be listening. But he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. One who cannot listen long and patiently will presently be talking beside the point and never really be speaking to others, and he won't be conscious of it. And anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend, keeping quiet, will eventually have no time for God and his brother, but only for himself and his own follies. Wow! That pierced my heart. Let everything be done in love. What does that look like? It looks like caring for, and it looks like listening to. And then it looks like bearing with, bearing with. You remember 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians three, twelve, and 14, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, E.K. Bailey pastored the Concord Church in Dallas, Texas for almost 30 years. Um, He has gone to be with the Lord. He once said that relationships within a family... Are really the most complicated because it's within the family we find the advantages and disadvantages of seeing one another as we really are and and when we see one another as we are we we see difficult and complex relationships We, we see couples giddy in love before marriage he said he said there's so much in love they can't stay away from each other they're wanting to eat each other up and then after they're married they wish they had See, when we become a family, something happens when we get close. So, so we want to be close. We need connection. We need community. But what happens when we get close? Well, the closer we get to one another, either in marriage or family or the church family, the closer we get to one another, the harder it becomes for us to get along. Did you hear know what I just said? The closer people get, the harder unity is. It it gets harder as we get closer because as we get closer, we become more aware of each other's weaknesses. And the more pronounced those weaknesses become, it then becomes easier for us to resent one another. It gets harder as we get closer because we discover that the body part I see was not the body part I thought I knew. And, of course, all of this is going on, and we overlook the fact that we have weaknesses, too. Which means we've got to honor one another and cherish one another and care for, listen to, and bear with. And when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in in whose realm we dwell, we demonstrate what beloved means in the beloved community. Church family, I submit to you here and now that the future of our nation is right here in this room spiritual revival will only come from the groundswell of local spirit immersed spirit infused churches working for renewal in local communities throughout this land and this is where God has put us and it is within the local church that we shape Christ-centered, virtuous people, which is a characteristic indispensable for self-government. It is within the local church that we grasp the, the meekness of Christ and his winsome, almighty power. It is in the local church that we learn to be reconciled to one another because the gospel of reconciliation pulls down the dividing walls of hostility and brings previously warring factions together into one family. It is in the local church that we learn unity amidst diversity for there is neither male nor female, black nor white, Jew nor Gentile, Republican nor Democrat, but all are one in Christ. Jesus co-heirs according to the promise. Do you believe that? It is in the local church that we form and conform our hearts away from earthly powers and instead toward the cross of King Jesus, away from donkeys and elephants and instead toward the Lamb who was slain for us. For this world is passing away, but a kingdom is coming and is here now, in this room. This is the beloved community, church family. We are all the spirit-immersed, spirit-infused body of Jesus. Let all we do be done in love. Amen.